WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQ&A, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week we're talking with Mike Kennedy, the founder and publisher of Magnetic Press. Magnetic is reintroducing itself to the market now that it's operating as an autonomous unit again. Uh, previously, it published graphic novels from foreign markets as a collection under Lionforge. But as a product of last year's Lionforge Oni Press merger, Magnetic is now an independent unit again, uh, still operating under parent company Polarity, which also owns Lionforge and Oni. Uh, we talked to Mike about all of that, going to shows like Comics Pro and Angolem, and uh, what kind of books he has coming up this spring and more. Uh, meanwhile, what is going on at WMQComics.com? We're in turmoil! Just kidding. Now, we've got uh, a Pod People interview uh, with our own Will Nevin, talking about the genesis of his Breezeway podcast. Uh, we got Matt, Matt Lazowitz's This Month in Gotham, looking at the Joker's henchmen, who were lucky enough, or unlucky enough, depending on how you look at it, to get names. Uh, we've got a review by Joshua Berman of Finger Guns Number 1. We got Why Will talking about Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man, the Walking Dead Bermit and the Anatomy of the Kool-Aid Man. We've got Will Nevin reviewing King of Nowhere number one. We have a Sunday editorial look at the comics we're hyped for in May. Uh, our top picks for this week, led by Tom King, Mitch Garrods, and Doc Shaner's Strange Adventures number one. And we got an X-Man of the Week look at Nightcrawler's relationship with religion. It's 100% certified fresh content, and it is all at WMQComics.com. Now here are me and Matt and Mike. Uh, so we are recording this uh, a few days before Comics Pro, the annual retailer summit. Um, this is going to sort of be Magnetic's uh, debut there as a separate publishing unit, correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. This will be the first time Magnetic's been there on its own. I attended once a couple of years ago, but it was kind of a unique circumstance. It was here in Chicago, and I think I think it's probably different from what I'm expecting. Um, what's your What is your schedule? going to be like while you're there do you have like an itinerary mapped out um not really i mean we're there as roundtable sponsors so we will be mm -hmm. doing a we'll be doing roundtables with um, a whole bunch of retailers but you know we won't be part of the uh, like you know breakfast presentations or anything like that so um i'm just really looking forward to meeting the retailers directly because i mean that's that's where the rubber hits the road <laughs> uh, certainly so uh, you're you're in chicago yes yep what is your? I was in Chicago over the summer. I'm just curious. What was your? What do you have a comic shop that you frequent there? Um, mostly Graham Cracker. I mean, not only because it's the closest one here in. Uh, I'm in the Edgewater area, so there's one uh, that's that's pretty close by, like walking distance. But you know, they've just also they've got a lot of good locations in the greater Chicagoland area. So, um, so yeah, so they're a good retailer. Um, Chicago Comics is good. I used to go there a lot when we lived in a different neighborhood, but um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot around here. Yeah, there there was a great volume. I went to one of the uh, the Graham Crackers locations so I could check Illinois off on my going to a comic shop in each state list. Um, but oh, yeah. I was curious. Yeah, you could check that off like I don't know, fifteen times over again in this city. <laughs> Just curious, Matt. How many states have you crossed off that list? Um, I'm at a, ooh, about 15. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, the, the beauty is getting to the, the annual conference I have to go to for work. I usually take, you know, and, and I'll say this 
because no one from work will ever listen to this podcast, um, <laughs> usually skip a couple afternoon sessions on <laughs> Tuesday or Wednesday and find a comic book shop because, you know, it's it's nine hours a day for five days. Uh, you know, I can skip, you know, two hours of that to not lose my mind. Yeah, and they wouldn't understand if you said, but it's for comics. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Uh, yes. Self care. One of these days. One of these days, we'll get legitimacy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've we've got it. Um, so I, uh, you know, kind of going into this this new chapter of of Magnetic as as a publishing unit. Uh, you know, how how much of your audience is the direct market, would you say, versus, you know, bookstores or, or libraries? You know, do you feel like you, you know, are you angling to kind of get the same boost going to Comics Pro as you would at, say, you know, ALA? Yes, but kind of from a different uh, from a different segment. I mean, the thing is, is I think both markets are, I mean, they're, they're drastically different in the way you got to communicate with them and the way you got to work with them and, you know, what they're looking for. And what you can do to help them, I mean, it's really it's it's two completely different audiences, but I think they're both very important. Um, you know, like, I, when we first started out, I was a lot more familiar with the with the direct market. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, when Magnetic first started, I was more I was paying a lot more attention to the direct market side and like how I how we can work with retailers and and um, and then as as we got a little bit more involved in like the library market through diamond books and then after the lion forge acquisition more and more of our books became like middle grade and, and and ya which is you know it's it's that that's that's like a key to getting into the book market and library mm -hmm. market um at that point i really started to see the the growing interest and strength of those two segments so um i mean it really is I mean, it's a three-legged stool, and I think all the legs are the same size. We don't want the stool to get too wobbly, so we're going to be focusing on trying to keep all those legs um, sturdy and even. Yeah, that, that that's definitely a good analogy. Um, so you were, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, you were just at uh, at uh, Angoulême too, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah, kind of the, the annual pilgrimage, so to speak. <laughs> uh, uh, how, uh, how was that this year? It was good. I mean, not only was it, it was the most temperate it's ever been since. I, I guess I've been, I've been going for, I guess, nine years now. And it's just always as cold and wet and miserable. And not that it wasn't cold and wet, but not nearly as miserable. I didn't come home sick this time. So that, that was pretty good. Um, I actually saw blue sky for one of the days, which is, I think, a first. Um, but the show itself was really good because, I mean, not only man, there's just so much good content over there that's just, I'm just chomping at the bit to, to get over here. Um, so many great authors and just exciting, fresh takes on things that, yeah, I mean, it was it was a good show in that sense. Uh, you know, when you're there, uh, you know, obviously it's, it's a business trip, you know, is it, is it generally an opportunity for you to go kind of hunting for the next crop of, of, you know, European hits to, you know, acquire the license to for, you know, an American audience? Yeah. When I go there, I'm going there as a buyer, which is to say I'm looking for uh, publishing rights to buy and license for the States mm -hmm. for North American English market. Actually, actually it's usually a worldwide English market because our books technically are sold around the world. 
Okay. Um, yeah, it's funny. Um, Lisa just posted something. A couple of our books are found in uh, Tel Aviv, which is pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, so I go to that show mostly as a buyer. I mean, we we have in the past produced some original titles um, that would be uh, available for outward licensing, but currently most of our stuff is inbound licensed material, uh, which is not to say that we want to box ourselves into that. We've got some, mm-hmm. we do have some original productions kind of, you know, in the hopper and, you know, on the, on the drawing board, um, you know, nothing, nothing firmly scheduled yet, but um, right now we're just, we're kind of focusing on getting our footing back um, in the marketplace with just a full slate of, of really strong titles. Uh, so, uh, like we mentioned earlier, and for you know listeners who may not be familiar, uh, Magnetic uh, has been spun off from Lionforge into its own uh, publishing entity. Uh, you know, it started uh, independent, that became part of Lionforge, and then as a result of the the Oni merger last year, now Magnetic is is you know an autonomous unit again, still operating under the larger umbrella of of Polarity, the parent company. Uh, you know, given all that, what what changes for Magnetic? Uh, you know, not being part of Lionforge. You know, does it, does its voice or its mission change at all? I would say yes. I'd say we're kind of if you if you kind of broke down if you broke the the life cycle of Magnetic from its original from its origin in 2013 mm-hmm. into chapters. This is kind of the beginning of Magnetic 3.0. So the first Magnetic was it was completely independent. It was me and my wife and David DeSanayaka for a while and um, Wes Harris for a while. I mean, it was really a, a cottage industry literally run out of our living room. Um, but we got to make all the decisions. You know, We got to choose what titles we wanted to put out. We got to choose how we want to market it. You know how we want to represent ourselves on social media, and you know what our our face and our voice was. Um, you know when we got acquired by um, Lionforge, that was fantastic because it took a whole lot of um, kind of the burden off of uh, off of our shoulders in terms of like you know they have their own legal department, they've got their own accounting department, they handle all the inventory management, and I mean there was a whole lot of just administrative stuff that was so freeing for them to take on mm-hmm. um but there was also that i mean it was brought into Lionforge as it wasn't technically an imprint they 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 didn't want to refer to it as an imprint it was a collection mm-hmm. um because they had their imprints based on age groups um but magnetic actually had titles sprinkled across all of those age group imprints so to call Magnetic an imprint was a little confusing the way they had um, titles organized. Um, but the fact that Magnetic did kind of have, have to fit into their, um, I don't know, their, uh, how, do, how do I put it, into their um, their brand structure and their, their, their um, organizational imprinting structure, mm-hmm. um, there were a little, there were, there were a few more steps and hoops and, um, things to consider when when submitting or or approving titles so so to that end there were a bunch of titles that i thought were fantastic that that didn't make it into the green light pile um a few of which are now in the green light pile and coming up um so i think now now that we're in the magnetic 3.0 phase i kind of feel like it's kind of getting back to um the initiatives that we had 
started at the very end of Magnetic 1.0 before the acquisition. Um, things like, you know, we got our website back and going again. We've, we're going to get our web store up probably within the next, I'm going to predict, within the next month. Um, I, we're actively putting the pieces together to get our Ambassadors Club program uh, up and running again, um, which, I mean, we can talk about that's a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, so I think there's a, there's a whole lot of, I guess you'd call it branded, um, branded elements that 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 we were able to like bring back to the table and and put a put a sheen on. Um, when when the merger was was happening last year, uh, you know, how much of an insight into that whole process did you have at the time? You know, was was Magnetic spinning back off part of the plan, or you know, something that came that came later? Um, I, w I wasn't really privy to a lot of the conversation, so I was kind of, I mean, I was made, I was made aware of it relatively late in the, in the process. I was made aware of it before it was announced, okay. um, but not that much sooner. So, um, so I mean, I do, I, I, I think the spinoff was kind of part of their, the kind of part of the final process of dotting the I's and crossing, crossing the T's because, you know, the, the only has a huge library. Lionford mm -hmm. was bringing a huge library and folding it into that library and, and magnetic stuff. While technically it came in with, would have would have been coming in with the Lionforge library, it really did have its own. You know, it, it had its own flavor to it. Um, so sure. I mean, I think there's there's a different way to market a magnetic book than you know a, a line forge book or an oni book which is you know it's just true for every brand i mean you market a, an image book differently a dc book a marvel book differently and so i think it it was only fair that in the process you know they worked with you know all, all the folks at oni about you know do, how, how much are you guys ready to take on and um you know each one of those different imprints and each one of those different catalogs was I mean that's kind of a whole new. It's like you know adopting a bunch of uh, a bunch of pets, a bunch of you know dogs and cats, and you know <laughs> your house is only so big, and you know if there's a pet that you're really not sure how to take care of, mm -hmm. you know in this particular case, fortunately there was um, there was a backup plan. There was a well, you know what we found this other home, and we can put we can put that cat in with this other home because they know how to take care of this cat. So, so the, the thing, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just gonna say it, it worked out well because you know uh, they they know that magnetic is and was capable of just a whole lot of um, uh, you know a whole a whole lot of uh, forward momentum mm -hmm. that you know maybe hadn't really been activated, but now it's fully activated under the uh, the the pet metaphor i was just thinking you know there, there was a moment where polarity was like you know how am i going to housebreak all these rick and morty comics but uh <laughs> yeah just to get a whole bunch of me seeks <laughs> so you were saying you know different marketing for each of these imprints or publishers etc um mm -hmm. what makes a book a magnetic book that's a, that's a tricky question. <laughs> so that was the answer to that kind of going all the way back to the beginning was 
not really a, a really good answer, but it was, do I like it? <laughs> I mean, so far, kind of the filter since the beginning has been whether or not I like it. So I've kind of been kind of this uh, curator, I suppose, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, because I mean, a lot of the books, I mean, they're, they're completely different. They don't really like, there, there is no real similarity to them. But I don't know, I feel like there is. And I think like underneath it all, it's like, these are books that have a, uh, like I can see a dynamic animated quality to all of them. I mean, they can be completely different types of animation from, you know, high end CG or 2D films, you know, like Nils all the way down to, you know, crazy uh, adventure time books like, well, we've got like, you know, um, Gen Pet coming up pretty soon. I mean, so, mm-hmm. the, I mean, it's, uh, I feel like a lot of our customers and our regular customers and our fans who've been following us from the beginning are, if not already kind of employed in some creative industry, they have aspirations to work within a creative industry, like animation or, you know, writing or art or film or or something along those lines, video games. So I feel like our books, if there's a way to kind of crystallize what that adjective is, um, it's books that appeal to creative uh, visionaries. I don't know. Does that sound pretentious? No, no, not not yeah. not at all. And I and I do also think that you know, kind of starting with the nugget of, of do you like this book that you're publishing is is you know, perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many of these titles where I mean, uh, I mean, we've had we've we've had knockout hits. That we're, that we're proud of. And then we've had titles that have yet to find their audience that I am just completely uh, head over heels in love with. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's another thing is, you know, we're, we don't give up on titles. We're, you know, the, the thing about books is they've got long legs. So you can sell books for years, or at least you can try to sell books for years. Um, so, I mean, there are, there are, ser- uh, every book that Magnetic has put out, I have liked. And a lot of the books that we put out, I have absolutely loved. So, um, so I guess that that that's part of the filter, you know. Now, if I get hit by a bus, God forbid, and somebody has to try to figure out what that means moving forward, I don't know what to tell you. But uh, <laughs> for now, that's kind of what the filter is. Um, it, uh, it it definitely feels like the right time to be a, a graphic novel publisher and that's, that's probably an understatement but you know just the other day i was looking at uh, diamond's january numbers and right out of the gate i'm seeing that you know random house graphic launches and is a top 10 publisher for the month put out one book uh you know not only that but but graphic novel sales to the direct market were up almost 30 percent month over month and again, that's not even we're not even talking about the bookstore market there. That's just sales to to specialty shops. Uh, so you know, g- given that there is all this interest right now, where traditional book publishers are launching graphic novel lines, and traditional comics publishers are also sort of dipping their toes in. You know, where do you kind of where where do you wh- what does Magnetic need to do to to stand out in in a, in an emerging market? Yeah, the thing is, a lot of those players, and we'll just go ahead and call them big players. The reason why they can, like, you know, knock those, knock those balls out into the outfield, you know, so far and so quick and so easy, is because you know they've got the the money muscle behind them, which you know, magnetic doesn't really have. I mean, granted, we've got more than we did when we were indie because of 
polarity, but I mean, that's not to say that polarity is just throwing stupid money at marketing. So we got to make sure that everything we do makes, you know, it makes financial sense in terms of, you know, the marketing investment versus the potential payoff. And I think we're being a bit more aggressive now in this 3.0 phase than we might have been before. So I'm, I'm really encouraged by how supportive polarity has been. And I think we're going to be doing um, a lot more, uh, hopefully, cost-efficient marketing and and uh, just big awareness uh, actions. Um, which you know, I'm kind of hoping that Comics Pro is just kind of the first edge of that um, initiative. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, it it's funny. I just I just went through so this this past weekend. I just you know, I've got my my, my stack of, of comics and previews and you know it's as a publisher picking up that previews catalog and going through it on a monthly basis is kind of depressing <laughs> kind of disheartening because <laughs> it's like there's just so much stuff and yeah i was i was about to say there's so much noise but i caught myself but i mean you know i sure there's a lot of really great stuff coming out there's um well let's be honest there's a lot of garbage coming out and then there's like 400 pages of other stuff somewhere in between and i just do not envy retailers having to do that every 30 days i don't miss my days of working in the comic shop when (laughs) the 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 boss would be like so what, what books in the you know outside of the premier publishers are you do you think i should order it's like ah yeah yeah i mean it's like i mean we are you know we're part of the you know the foc facebook group and you know it's like, like you know especially now you know now that we're independent and lisa's doing a great job of like really engaging with retailers and kind of you know keeping a, a, a line of communication open with them directly uh, but it still seems like it's it's at this point where, and I'll, I'm I'm sure we'll get a lot more clarity at for Comics Pro. But it seems like retailers are at the if nobody pre-orders it, we're not ordering it. Like you know anything beyond mm-hmm. those top three publishers, top five publishers, we need people to come in and ask for it, or we're not ordering it. And that makes total sense considering how much stuff they've got to buy. So what we want to do is either get our be it social marketing or 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 just newsletter or messaging to the point where we're getting people to advocate for us on the street level, you know, like get the fans to actually be vocal, go into the shops and actually pre-order, um, you know, convince their friends and, you know, kind of be a street team for us. Um, Cause I think if they don't, if retailers don't hear about it before that ordering window closes, it's, it's a lot of hubris to just assume they're going to order you. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And yeah, you know, it, you're, you're definitely right about, you know, the, the previews catalog, you know, I don't, I, I, as a, as a non-retailer, you know, haven't, you know, don't really have cause to look at it on the regular, but it is like kind of going through back when Sears used to publish those giant, like wish catalogs every uh, <laughs> yeah. December yeah. and, it, you yeah. know, but it's every month and you're, you're, comp- you know, within the confines of that catalog, your product is competing with, you know, Superman and T-shirts and Funko Pops and you know, yeah. 
your actual, well, uh, you know, Boom Studios. Yeah, the, the you know the the the, the J.C. Penney's you know Christmas wish book was. I mean, at least the thing is that book. The those three hundred pages, five hundred pages were they were aimed at everybody in the family and every single need. I mean, they had, you know, everything from sweater vests to, you know, bras <laughs> and underwear to lawnmowers to, Hey, look, star Wars, you know? So, I mean, even their 500 pages was covering a lot of stuff. Whereas diamonds catalog, that's, I mean, it's literally 500 pages a month, all aimed at the same, um, you know, geek culture consumer dollar. And there's only so many of those dollars per month to go around. Yeah. So we want to make sure that, you know, people know about our stuff and, and reserve a few dollars for our books. You know, we're also trying to like, just make sure that we keep our overhead nice and manageable. I mean, it is still just a pretty, it's like a three or four man operation, not counting the legal and accounting teams that polarity is handling. I mean, they're still handling a lot of the administrative stuff, but you know, on the, production and marketing side we're pretty lean so you know we can keep our overhead low which means you know we we don't have big targets to hit we've got very reasonable conservative targets you know to make our nut and if we can hit that then we're doing okay how uh in terms of of publishing how far planned out uh are you guys um well (laughs) <laughs> I, I wish we were further out. I, we've got titles. We've got our, our schedule pretty pretty well locked in through July. Um, we've got a lot of um, verbal yeses uh, for August through December. Um, we've got a couple of already uh, locked titles that are part of a series um, sprinkled throughout 2021. Um, but, yeah, the, I, we, do, we do still have some let's just call them flex spots in our fall and 2021. The thing is, so even though uh, the split out of magnetic happens, you know, what last summer, technically it Mm -hmm. it was between July and um, October, technically um, there, there had been a, I don't think I'm talking out of class with this. I mean, I think it all makes logical sense. I mean, there, there was a, there was a temporary kind of hold, on acquisitions um, while Polarity was figuring out the final stages of the merger, just because, sure. you know, they don't, like, they don't want to get into, you know, they don't want to get into contractual uh, obligations until they really know where things are going to go. So mm-hmm. there was a, there was a period there where um, we just, we weren't able to acquire new titles. So as soon as that got figured out, like in, I guess, you know, it was more like between August and September leading into October with the announcement. Um, at that point, I just hit the ground running and I just started chasing down um, a bunch of titles that I really wanted. So it still takes a number of months for those things to get locked down. So we've got a lot of titles where we've got verbal agreements on and we've got handshakes on. But until I get the signature on paper and files in hand, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to announce them yet. <laughs> but as soon as I do, there's some really good titles. I'm excited <laughs> for it. So that, well, that, that's great. I mean, during during that period where you know obviously polarity was was figuring everything out, you know, were you kind of compiling like your your wish list of of things that you knew you wanted to bring overseas? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, there were a bunch of titles that I 
I really felt good about even when I, I mean, I had brought them through Lion Forge in the first place, but for one reason or another, um, and it wasn't always necessarily just content. I mean, there were, there were a lot of factors involved, sales and format and price point. Um, but there were a lot, yeah. So there were a lot of books that um, I, I kept on my radar, even though I had already submitted them. Um, but, you know, now that magnetic is um, a bit, leaner or you know our our overhead is a bit more you know streamlined um the pnl formula the profit and loss formula for mm -hmm. a book um is a bit more favorable so some of those books that didn't make the pnl before can make the pnl now under the new magnetic so there were a few titles that i was able to bring back in for a pretty immediate um green light oh that's good um yeah. um so you uh, mentioned the uh, Ambassadors Initiative a little bit ago. Uh, tell us a little more about that. Well, so at, towards the okay, so the first version of Magnetic, the, you know, the the original Magnetic before the Lionforge acquisition, which I'll just I'll just refer to it as Magnetic 1.0. Um, and that <laughs> it, I think that that chapter was about three years long. And in the final year, we initiated this thing called the Ambassadors Club, which was. It was kind of part fan club, part blind box subscription service, wherein, you know, we basically we, we organized it and ran it through Patreon. So people could sign in at different um, pledge levels. But those pledges were essentially kind of a subscription service. Um, we were at a point where we were putting out at least one book a month, sometimes two on the rare month three. Um, but uh subscribers would get that month's uh, featured book as part of their subscription. Plus they'd get all kinds of other swag. There was always like a mystery blind box t-shirt and uh, you know, maybe you'd get a magnetic press shot glass or, you know, a baseball cap or, you know, just some other swag. I mean, it was always a surprise thing. Um, and plus you got a, you got a cool like plastic uh, ambassadors club card with a unique number on it and that unique number would get you a discount off of our web store. And I mean, there were so many cool things going on with it. Um, but it just didn't, um, it didn't fold into what Lionforge had going on at the time. We were talking about mm -hmm. getting it reactivated, but you know, Lionforge was also figuring out, you know, how they wanted to handle, um, e-commerce, et cetera. And just in the course of those years, it, it, it just didn't pan out to get reactivated. So we're working on reactivating that again. Um, we should, like I said, we should have our web store up hopefully within the next, I'm going to say four weeks or so. And at that time, I'm really hoping that we can also just announce the reactivation of the ambassadors club. Um, you know, it's not that we had a huge following, but you know, those who did follow were pretty faithful and, you know, after 12 months, you know, they got their points, they got their goods, they got their discounts. Um, but the whole point of it was to try to encourage the fans of the brand to really advocate for the brand, hence the term ambassadors. We wanted them to be ambassadors for the brand amongst their friends and their peers, like, you know, tell their friends and peers about Magnetic. Because um, I think that's really you know, kind of going beyond social media, that's really how you're going to grow brands these days is just word of mouth and fan following and, you know, have friends tell two friends and have those two friends tell two of their friends. And pretty soon, you know, you've got all your numbers covered. 
Oh, definitely. You know, and it, it's like a it's like a modern mini Merry Marvel marching society. If I could just yeah, take exactly. on more ebbs. <laughs> yeah. A Merry Magnetic marching society. <laughs> yeah. Well, the cool thing is, is, you know, now we're working with Lisa Wu on our, um, you know, kind of sales and marketing coordination. And she had been working with Aftershock for a while. And mm-hmm. I know that she was pretty key in getting the whole, you know, Aftershock army thing going, which is, you know, it really is that 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 street level you know, team building that, you know, we want to build a community because you know, mm-hmm. that's really where it's all at. So, uh, you mentioned Nils, uh, before, which came out, uh, last month, uh, in January by, uh, Jerome, uh, I apologize if I butcher these names, uh, Hamon and, uh, Antoine carry on, uh, you oui. know, hmm? wait, oui. c'est bon. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Good for me. Uh, you know, kind of being the the I guess the the first book of of magnetic three point Yeah. Um, you know, what are you seeing, hearing from from your retail partners and 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 you know readers uh, since it came out? Uh, for you know, let me just say first of all, it is a gorgeous book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you know the the uh, the the reviews we are getting and you know the people's reactions are are just nothing but positive. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I, I mean, this since this is our first month, uh, kind of back uh, as independent. I think we're st- we're still we're still climbing the hill to make sure people know that we're still independent. I think there I think there's still some some messaging to you know making sure people realize that we're, we're we are back and we're here and you know we've got good books coming out. And again, I think Comics Pro will be a good opportunity to really get that going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean. I think the response to Nils has been incredibly encouraging. It, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like suddenly, oh my God, we just sold 10,000 copies in our first month. I mean, we're still coming back. So, sure. you know, I think, you know, I, I don't want to look at, I don't want to look at a first month's numbers as indication of where we are, but I can see already that those first month numbers are a really good indication of where this trajectory is heading. Does that make sense? Is that a safe answer? Oh, absolutely. And and okay. also the book came out at the very end of the month. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's really only been what, three weeks since it came out? And uh, it came yeah, out, yeah. I think it also came out the same week as our Topi Collection Volume Three. One thing is you know, we're trying to keep our release schedule down to about, you know, somewhere between thirty six or so uh books a a year. Because mm-hmm. ideally, in, in the perfect scenario, we, you know, we only have one release a week. So that release can have all the ramp up spotlights and release date announcements and, you know, the follow up soapbox review time without having to share it. So we're, we're still working with Diamond to make sure that uh, books don't pile up. But I think that was one of those unfortunate weeks. Again, first month, we're still getting the kinks worked out, but... Um, mm-hmm. both of those books hit on the same week. Um, you know, for, for readers or listeners who aren't familiar, uh, you know, uh, what is kind of the, the elevator pitch for Nils, you know, just looking at it, uh, I got to read some of it, uh, you know, over the last couple of days while I was getting ready for this interview. It is, it, it you know, it, it's got a very, you know, it's a, it's a father son story. It's got uh, a little bit of a, an environmental, uh, bent to it. Uh, you know, what, what attracted you, uh, to this particular book? I'll be completely honest and transparent in that the thing that attracted me is the thing that attracts me to most of these books initially, which is, it's just beautiful. 
the artwork is just astounding. You know, most of the books that um, I, I bring to the table are because, first and foremost, they just look awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, after reading it, it's like, okay, that's also a super cool story and, a, you know, a, a unique, you know, setting and scenario or concept or take that, you know, I haven't seen done before. So, yeah, I guess the elevator pitch for this would be, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a... I don't know, kind of a a Wagner-esque sci-fi dystopian future. You know, it, it, it does rely on a bunch of kind of Nordic mythology, but it does take place in kind of a dystopic future where nature has stopped working. But yet there's also, there are gods in the story and they are interacting with the humans and part of the story is the gods feeling neglected. And I, yeah, it's... It works on a lot of different levels. It's kind of, it's science fiction. It's ecological uh, allegory. It's you know, it's got a you know religious allegory themes, but yet it's also just beautiful to look at. I, absolutely, and you know, it. it you mentioned uh, Norse, but it, you know, it, it. I think one of the things that attracts me to it is it, it mixes mythology because you've also got, yeah. you know, these these yokai, these elemental sprites, you know, uh, the, which are are you know a Japanese thing, and even just kind of looking at the way it's drawn, it's like I see like a little touch of Miyazaki in there, and uh, that yeah. I really appreciate it. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. This is the kind of thing where, like, I could easily see this book as a feature animated feature film 2d animated feature yeah um just uh you know on, on the whole obviously you know we, we've been talking about you know going going overseas going to europe kind of looking for these 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 european uh books to to adapt for american markets you know what is it about the the european style of, of sequential art that speaks to you well I guess I mean I guess I would I would clarify first and foremost that it's not I don't, I don't magnetic isn't specifically a European import brand um, okay. I mean there are a, there's a ton of great stuff that I do find there that is I mean I think we've published almost as much Italian stuff and non-French stuff um, as yeah. we have French well no probably not French is probably still primary but um, but I mean, there's a lot of there are a lot of Italian books that we've done. There's a lot of uh, Spanish books that we've done. Um, I'm I, it's funny. I'm uh, right now. I'm looking at a lot of books from a lot of um, Chinese and Asian artists. Um, so I think it's it's not specifically that there's something about European comics that appeals to me. It's mm-hmm. just I think it's just there's so much uh, just engrossing and and amazing content out there in the world um and so far i think i mean sure i think europe has been the 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 channel through which i've found a lot of it um but that's not to say that it's exclusively european content does that make sense no no absolutely absolutely yes um what uh you know in in the in the immediate you're looking ahead to uh, I guess March at this point, you know, what is kind of next on, on the docket for you guys? Well, actually, yeah, since we had that kind of period of, um, you know, the uh, acquisition, kind of the acquisition window was kind of offset from our our, our, our launch. Um, you know, we were fortunate to get Nils out for our first month. 
Um, but then for like the second and the third months, I think February and March are, I mean, they're, they're really good books, but they are follow-up volumes in existing series. So like The Ballad of Yaya, I think volume five, which is a great series, um, but it has been, um, I think I think that debuted last summer. Um, Infinity Eights, which has been going for about a year now. Uh, what else? Rise of the Zelfir, volume three. Um, the first two came out last year. So I think in the first quarter, it is kind of catching up with um, follow-up volumes to previous titles. But then in April, honestly, April, I think, is when the curtain really gets pulled back. And that's when a lot of our really new and exciting kind of fresh new titles are going to start to trickle in. Like um, in April, we've got Gen Pets. Um, even though Claw is a third volume in the series, we're really treating it as if it's almost like a, I hesitate to say reboot because, you know, it's it's not rebooting, but I think mm-hmm. we want to we wanna market it as if, look, if you haven't read this series yet, you've been missing out, now is a good time to jump on. Um, Jumping then, on point sounds like a safe turn, a much safer turn of phrase than reboot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think... Uh, uh, although even even the jumping on point, I, th- I think we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna workshop the message a little bit internally because I don't know if it's it's I don't I don't think you can just jump on with volume three. But the thing is, is all of the previous volumes are all available, so it's all there. Mm-hmm. I think not, it's a good time to get into the series. Let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, then in June or in May we've got another uh, debut streamliner, and then in June we've got. Uh, two new titles, Gunland and Mr. Invincible. So I think, yeah, starting in April, that's when Magnetic's really going to start um, revealing brand new stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of going back to, uh, you know, earlier in your publishing career, uh, you know, do you feel like, you know, the time that you spent at Arkea prepared you for everything that you've experienced at Magnetic? Like, do you remember just like, you know, kind of take us back a little bit to, to making that leap. Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, Arkea was, I mean, Arkea was really my uh, crash course in the mechanics of publishing. I mean, mm-hmm. I had, Arkea was my first job in the, in the publishing industry coming out of, I, I was in the video game industry for 20 years before that, right. like producing uh, and animating uh, cutscenes and whatnot. So I had always been in comics mostly as a writer and a reader, but Arkea was kind of my first introduction to how's, how is the, how's the sausage made? (laughs) Um, And, you know, I, it didn't, it didn't gross me out as much as you'd think that it did. So I actually continued to make sausage. Um, And yeah, definitely when it came to starting magnetic from scratch, um, no, no hesitation in admitting that, I fully carried the torch that Arkea lit uh, in terms of formats and kind of quality of content and kind of that whole, we're going to bring you an exotic collection of things that you're going to love, but you didn't even think about it. So you didn't realize how much you've been missing this stuff. Hmm. I think that's kind of another thing is it's magnetic is kind of like a good destination for exotic discoveries. Um, and you know, I guess you could define that as European, but I think it—I think it's more a matter of you're going to discover something 
cool that's unlike anything else you've seen elsewhere. And yeah, Archaea kind of really fixated that um, quality in my program. You you mentioned uh, your your background in video games, which I was going to to uh, uh, mention as well. You know, is that a thing that uh, you miss? Is that I mean, do, do you have to, do you have time to play? You know, do you still play? I guess is a good oh, question. Yeah. Not nearly as much as I would like to, but I try to force myself. Uh, I probably I don't know. I probably get in, and I probably shouldn't quantify this out loud. <laughs> I probably still I probably still get in a good. 10 hours of gaming a week, you know, spread out throughout the week. But, you know, it's a lot of, I've been playing a lot of destiny too. I finally got, um, uh, death stranding. So I've been playing a lot of that lately. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got my humble bundle subscription. So I'm just constantly, it's almost, it's getting almost as bad as my, my book habit where I will buy comics and books that just pile up that I intend to read. It's the same thing with games. I've got a whole list of games that I've purchased or downloaded, and it's just a matter of the time to play them. I think the one thing that we hear from every guest, as, as no matter what they do, is that they all have that, that stack of things waiting to be read. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, I've, I've, I got to a point, there was a time there where, you know, I would get, you know, whatever, 30, you know, 15, 30 games, you know, a month, just because, I mean, before I, I you know, I, I could, because that was all industry research. And, you know, I'll play, I'd play a half hour of it and it's like, okay, that was interesting and then move on. But I, I kind of took a turn where I'm like, you know what, if I'm going to get into a game, I'm going to finish it. So... Mm-hmm. With games turning into you know forty to one hundred hour epics, it's getting mm-hmm. harder to it's getting harder to finish. Like uh, Witcher Three, I I probably got forty hours into that, and it's like I don't even know how far from the finish I am, but it's fun. Do, does the uh, the clarion call of writing ever hit you anymore? I mean, I have I fondly remember. Uh, the Star Wars books you did for Dark Horse back in the day, uh, Aurorian Express and mm. Underworld, were both yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> funny you mentioned that because it's that 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 siren has been just screaming in my ear lately. <laughs> I've had there, you know, so many story ideas that I've been wanting to just work on, but just have not literally just don't have the mind share because. You know, running this company is—it's just constantly spinning plates. It's seven days a week. It's just like there's really what little time I do get to myself is the time I usually put into games because that's the complete escape. Um, but yeah, actually, over the last couple of months, I've been actually talking with some other um, writers and artists about collaborations. So I'm kind of hoping—I mean, nothing is nothing's formal—but I'm hoping that maybe in the next couple of months i can get something nailed down just because uh you know you can take the pen away from the writer but you can't take the writer out of the pen i don't know if that makes sense but you know it'll always be in the blood absolutely uh uh yeah 
Um, and then you can get yourself on your own publishing schedule. <laughs> yeah, well, I will admit, though, that that was actually one of the reasons why I... I so the, I think the last thing that I had um, published was a Kickstarter that we did, I want to say it was like three years ago, called Hugo Broiler, which was a lot of fun. It was actually a, a, an older project that I had been working on for a while. But in those three years, part of the thought of, you know, hey, do I, you know, I, I, I want to write again, but it was, oh, yeah, but I don't want to be that vanity publisher where, you know, I'm publishing my own stuff because I don't, you know, there's always that concern that this is going to look like a vanity project. But it's like, well, but that's not the case. But it is convenient. But that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, we'll figure something out because, I mean, uh, some of these ideas just, they, they, they can't die and, I don't want them to die in my head because then my head will be full of a rotten dead idea. <laughs> then it'll start to smell faster. Um, <laughs> that is both a horrifying and odd <laughs> apt analogy. <laughs> well. uh, so you, you mentioned your, your to read stack. Uh, you know, what, what are you reading right now when you can? When I can, um, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, the, the brutally honest answer is um, it's French books that I'm thinking about publishing because sure. there is just a huge stack of books that it's like, wow, that looks great, but I want to make sure that it's actually a good story. So in a lot of cases, it's um, foreign titles that I'm considering. But when it comes to just, hey, I just want to read something for myself. I'll admit that, I mean, it's a lot of image stuff. I mean, you know, Nathan Fox and The Weatherman, I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, Stray Bullets is and always will be the best comic I've ever read. Um, yeah, I mean, titles along those lines, are, they still they still sing to me. That's great. Um, Mike, as we're, as we're wrapping up, uh, how can people follow you online, everything that uh, you're doing through Magnetic? Uh, um, well, the Magnetic website is back up and running, and we keep that really up to date um, fairly, you know, we'll, we'll post to it. I mean, definitely news and title releases and title info is all up there. Um, it's all current, and we'll get, you know, exclusive, like, interviews and stuff up there a couple times a month as well. So that's magnetic-press.com. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. It's just at, face, uh, I'm sorry, at Magnetic Press, no dash in the socials. Um, just one word and um, yeah I mean we're getting a lot more active on social media I mean Lisa's really been knocking it out of the park with keeping um, keeping a lot of stuff posted on a regular level we do have a, a newsletter that we put out at least I'd say once every two weeks sometimes it depends on how much we got going on but you can sign up for that on our webpage um, that's a good way to keep up to date all right, Mike, thank you so much for coming on doing the show. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. This is great. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQA on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQA and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics. For just a dollar donation, get you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice, and a $2 donation gets you a free random comic book in the mail from my collection. If we hit uh, $10 in monthly donations, we'll start a new project, most likely a deep dive retrospective on James Robinson and Tony Harris's Starman. 
Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones Podcast, Robert Secundus from Docs Talks at XavierFiles.com, Scott Madrinsky from Mojo'sWork.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's upcoming Spider-Woman series, Seren and Rick Cook Jr. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox, plus sneak peeks at what's ahead and an early look at our weekly editorial. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, reviews, previews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next time. WMQA!